Seed, I don't know about you, but I feel like that's the kind of song you need to sing while you're laying on the beach, and um, that's what I was imagining. I don't know, you know, we're, we were going to do a message on Acts, but I figure we'll do Noah's Ark, and we can dream about the beach today. Oh, my goodness. How is everybody? Well, I'm glad sec- six or seven of us are doing pretty good. <laughs> Me too. You know, last night we had that town hall meeting in here, and um, Wow. Wow. You know, we had 139 people show up, and it's so funny because we were having dinner with Tom, the guy who facilitated, and he was like, so how many, how many do you think will be there? And we had all these numbers going out, and he said, I just let you know, if we have 60 or 70, it's going to be an awesome meeting for a church this size. He's like, that's, that's the norm, and it's a great meeting, so don't be disappointed. And we're like, okay, you know, well, maybe we're shooting high. I don't know. And then um, so many of you came. And um, those of you came, are you glad you came? Yeah, yeah it was a pretty good time. And uh, there was so much discussion and so much input. People, you know, we, we were sharing about the past and what was good and what was not so good. And we were sharing about the present. How are we doing now? And there was just lots of conversation about it. And then we talked about our hopes and our dreams um, for the future. And really what last night was, it was, it was hearing from you. It was hearing about you. It was, it was about defining reality. And um, I figure, you know, for us to make decisions going forward, we really need to know who we are. We need to know where we've come from, where we've been. And uh, so I think that's, that's what we were doing. That's the, yesterday was just the beginning. And I want to thank you. For those of you who participated, coming out on a rainy Saturday night, I know, you know, it's, it's, I said maybe the rain worked in our favor. I'm not really sure, but it was definitely coming down. And then some of you, you were here yesterday early afternoon helping prepare and set up, and I just can't thank you enough. It is because of you that we were able to have last night, and so just appreciate it. And, you know, after the town hall meeting, I met with about 10 different leaders in our church for a couple more hours. It was a long night, and, um, you know, I, I think what I... Well, I wanted to just share a couple of thoughts. I, I think what I really felt that I heard last night, maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, as a church family, it really seemed like, as a group, we were saying, I think with all of the change that we've gone through as a church and all the stuff that, the emotion that has been just inside, that this time of grieving seemed to be coming to an end last night. We, we've experienced the change. We've needed time. But what I sensed last night was this, this hope, this excitement about what God has in store for us and this expectation. Yeah, and I heard somebody, somebody agrees with me, so maybe there's two of us. But it was like, okay, a f- grief we had our 40 days or months or whatever years of, of grief, and, and, and I'm not saying that everybody's done grieving. I get that. Emotions come and go and all that. But as a church, it kind of felt like, okay, Lord, what's next? What's the new chapter look like? I don't, did anybody else feel that way a little bit? All right, good, good. So I was excited. Man, I left, I left last night with hope and just, you know, this is, this is just the beginning. Now we get to pray. Now we get to come up with, with plans, and, you know, it's a plan of faith and a plan of action. And I love that Tom last night was like, I believe that prayer and spreadsheets, which, by the way, I hate spreadsheets, but um, that's why, Jim, that's why you're here, right? And, um, you know, but prayer and spreadsheets go hand in hand, that God, he, he infuses a people with vision, yet it takes a lot of time and effort coming up with the strategi- strategies to, to make that vision a reality. So we trust in God that no matter what, 
We follow Jesus no matter where it leads. We know that he's the one who transforms us. He's the one who transforms our life and causes growth. But without action, faith is dead. Faith is worthless. He calls us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And what that looks like in Avalon Park is going to be different than what it looks like in other places. And so we're about to, this is going to be a fun ride. It really is. This is going to be good stuff as we begin this new chapter. So I know I'm not alone, and I'm excited about that. So as we work through all the information um, and we begin clarifying and shaping this vision for the future, I will, of course, be continually sharing with you. But I want to ask a couple of things from you. I need you to pray first because this is a spiritual endeavor. This is not a bunch of people getting into a room and saying, what's best, what's best? This is a bunch of people getting into a room first saying, Lord, where do you want to take us? God, what do you want Avalon Church to look like? How can we reach these people? And then I want to ask that you uh, so pray, and then I want you to um, I've meant to say, I'm like, who, who, what are we doing? Uh, no, just, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for our leaders. I want you to pray for our church family. But in your prayer, here's what I also want you to do. I want you to get to know and fall in love with the God that we serve. Because praying is good. Praying is an action. Praying is something that we do. And often praying is usually us talking. You know, just going on and on. And that's That's okay. Because that's what conversation is. But praying isn't the end. <laughs> the reason is because we want to know this Jesus that we follow. And it's when we know this Jesus and we, we know who God is. And when he, he becomes more than just this, this guy in the sky. But he becomes the savior of our, our, our soul. The, the, the one who loves us. The one who lives in us. When, when we start understanding that this God is more than just an entity out there, but he is a person in here. Person who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. That person, when we get to know him, changes everything. And so as we join this in this endeavor, I really want to ask, please get to know the God who we follow. Get to know this, begin this relationship with Jesus. So before we get started today, let's, let's just pray together and, um, and ask God to guide us. Lord, I want to thank you for last night. I want to thank you for the direction that we're going. And, and I, th- I find it fascinating that even this message today was planned weeks ago, weeks before even this meeting was planned, and yet how much it ties into everything that's happened this weekend. So we give you glory. We ask for your guidance and leadership. And God, I pray that you help us to follow you with all of our heart. In your name we pray. Amen. See, I believe this weekend's gonna, we're going to one day look back and see this as a pivotal moment. You know, it's amazing how small moments like last night um, have, can be remembered as like the beginning of huge changes in trajectory, huge, huge things that, have, new chapters that have begun. And um, I think that new chapters in, in our story often happen unexpectedly like that, where we have, we have this, this event happen, and and later on you look back and go, I didn't know that event was going to be so significant, but wow, it did. It changed everything. I remember hearing the story of Martin Luther King Jr. when he was doing his um, I Have a Dream speech. You know, there was like 250,000 people at the mall in Washington, D.C. Martin Luther King is heading up to the podium, and he has his whole speech written out. It is done. And there's no mention of a dream in the speech. 
But as he's about to begin, he's getting himself ready at the podium. A woman in the, in, in the crowd yells out, tell him about the dream. Tell him about the dream. And instead of preparing his, his or instead of saying his prepared speech, right then, Martin Luther King Jr. chose to change it and started speaking from the heart. And he started with that line, I have a dream. And that speech, nobody would have expected it to be a catalyst to change everything. But it did. One moment in time, one change that was unexpected. And the America that we know today is incredibly different than the America of the 1960s. See, I believe that uh, right now, this weekend, we're experiencing one of those, that we're doing this, this brand new chapter is beginning together. And what's really cool is, I, I promise you, I didn't do this on purpose. I got together with uh, our teaching team, several of the pastors, uh, Pastor John and William and Jim, a couple, probably a month and a half ago. And we had dinner together and we were talking about the Acts series. And I was asking them, hey, is there a passage of scripture you love and you would like to teach? And so we were talking about that. And, uh, but it, we had the whole thing calendared out for the whole summer. This meeting last night had not even been in existence yet. I mean, we hadn't planned it. I hadn't talked to Tom, who was going to facilitate it yet, all of that. I find it fascinating that what happened last night is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Because today's message is a passage of Scripture in Acts 11. That it's not one of those... those uh, I, Forgive me, I call them the sexy stories where, you know, you have lots of action and you have all this stuff and going on. It's not one of those kind of stories. But the story that we're talking about today is absolutely pivotal, not just to Acts, not just to the, the Jewish Christian church at the time or the, the new Gentile Christian church. The story today is the pivotal moment in world history where the church, the Jewish church, suddenly became available to Gentiles. Every single one of you in this room, every single one who is not Jewish, can thank the events of today's story that you got to hear the gospel and that you understood that it was for you. The message of Jesus came to you because of today's story. And so we're going to focus on the story in, in Acts 11, verses 19 through, thir uh, 19 through 30. And I want you to hear my, my heart on something. Stories are compelling to me. I love stories. And when I say the word story, please understand, I am not saying that the story today is not history. With everything in me, I believe that today's story happened. And I feel like when I say today's story is a story, it's kind of like if I said to you, hey, I want to share the story of how America started. Everybody in this room would know I'm talking about you know, the facts of history, yet laid out in such a way that they went somewhere. There was a purpose. I wasn't just going through a bunch of facts, but it's a story that goes somewhere. And let me tell you, the writers of Scripture are incredible storytellers. They tell the best stories. Historical facts can be lifeless, but stories, man, they're compelling. They shape us and they teach us. They create an identity. They help us discover the character of God. And so, when, when we're talking about the story today in the book of Acts, just know this story that Luke wrote has a purpose. It tells us about what happened after Jesus ascended. But it tells us so much more because it gives us pointers about even our own church and our own life and how, how Christianity can be lived out. So it is history, but it is a great story. Is that fair? 
I feel like I needed to share that because sometimes I, I call everything a story in, in the scriptures. And then I, I realized a couple weeks ago, somebody was like, so do you believe that it happened? And I was like, of course. But I could tell you the story about how I got married to Ray Lynn, and I believe that happened too. So anyway, um, so Acts chapter 11, turning point in a much bigger story of the Bible. In fact, this is for you Star Wars lovers, you know, last week, the whole Star Wars thing. So many of you, no, thank you for not sending me emails complaining. And no, Star Wars is, is uh, it's not in the Bible. Um, but for those of you who like trilogies, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I love a good trilogy. Star Wars, now where I think we're about on the third trilogy now, or finishing it up, but uh, Lord of the Rings, love the trilogy. One of my favorites all through my life was Back to the Future. Love that trilogy. Toy Story, come on. If you don't weep in Toy Story 3, you have no heart. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. So as I was studying the Bible this week, studying this story, and I was looking over how Scripture comes together, I, I found it interesting, and maybe, maybe I'll change my mind next week, but it really looked like a trilogy to me this week as I was looking at it. And so I, and I really think it might help some of you get a big picture of the Bible. So I put it up here. Um, episode one of the trilogy is really the Old Testament. So it's like two-thirds of the Bible. God created the universe. Creation's climax was the formation of man and woman. And they alone, nothing else in all of creation was made in God's image, except for these two people. Yet they rebelled against God, and they decided they wanted to be their own God. But God never forgot them, and he would never forget them. So he invited Abraham and his descendants to be his special people. God would reveal himself to the world so that all of his created people could know him. So the whole Old Testament, the whole episode one, is, is the story of the journey of Abraham's descendants and their successes and their many failures. See, and in the story is the anticipation that one of Abraham's descendants would come one day. He would be called the Messiah. And when he comes, it will change everything. And that begins episode two, which started with Jesus, because God had been silent for a long time, like hundreds of years. The scriptures, there were no scriptures written, um, and, and the, the Jewish people, they were in captivity. They had gone from, you know, um, uh, Babylon to being under Persian rule, and then they had a bunch of mixed stuff where they were just fighting, 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 and then the Romans came along, and they just were an oppressed people. The expectation was intense for the coming of this Messiah. They longed for it. They prayed for it. And then around 4 BC, this young teenage virgin suddenly became pregnant. And angels were singing to shepherds. And wise men were following a star. And a Savior was born. And his name was Jesus. And he was declared the Messiah. And as expected, he, he healed the sick. He, he raised the dead. He cast out demons. And everybody said, see, he's the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, he started doing some really funky things that Messiahs don't do because he, he started, um, well, he never rose up against the, the governing authorities. He never rose up against Rome, and people were like, that's what the Messiah was expected to do. And he criticized the religious leaders and then invited the poor and the sick and the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes to follow him. And they were like, that's weird. And then he died on a cross as a criminal. See, messiahs don't die on crosses. That was definitely what they thought. And they were like, maybe Jesus was mistaken. 
And then when he died, they were like, definitely, Jesus was mistaken. (laughs) But they were mistaken. They were mistaken because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And then he ate and he talked with his disciples. There's this one story. 500 people were together when Jesus presents himself and begins talking to 500 people at any one time, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why it's really hard to deny the resurrection of Jesus, because when 500 people see him and then they scatter and, none of, and many of them die for, their, for saying they saw him alive and nobody, changed, nobody said they didn't, that speaks, that's pretty good, pretty good evidence. And so 500 people at one time, it was just undeniable that Jesus was alive. And before he left, he promised that he would send his spirit to live in his people. And that's how episode two ends. And that moves us to episode three, where we we have been off and on throughout um, this year. Because episode three is the beginning of the church, God's kingdom community, whose story begins in the book of Acts. So Jesus ascends to heaven, and the people are left. And episode three, forgive me, you know, I'm like, I don't know why I think this way, but episode three also has three acts or three parts Part one was um, Pentecost. You know, Jesus had declared that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was where they were, and in Judea, which was really close by, and Samaria, which they didn't like but was really close, and to the ends of the earth. So the Jewish church grew incredibly quickly in Jerusalem. I mean, 3,000 in one day. Boom! Boom! became followers of Jesus. And then they started scattering out to Judea, and then all the persecution happens, and they started fleeing. They went to Judea, and then they went to Samaria, and the persecution uh, from, from fellow Jews kept following them everywhere they went, and so they just kept going farther and farther and farther. And so today, as we uh, look at part three, we're going to be looking at something amazing. This is when the church exploded out of the Jewish church and became available to the Gentiles. This moment changed the trajectory of history. So before we start, I just wanted to, let me read through the the various, this passage of scripture. It says, okay. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And what's really funny about this, I just got to tell you, is that if you ever, and you'll see maps in a couple seconds for those of you who like maps because you tell me that you do, um, you'll, you'll see that Jerusalem's actually south of all of these places. But if you ever go to Jerusalem, which 
I will give you, we will have opportunities as a church to do this. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you will find that everywhere outside of Jerusalem is down. Everywhere. Jerusalem's high, everything else is low. Doesn't matter if you're going north, south, east, or west, you're going down. So that's why they went down from Jerusalem north to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And that happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, so let's go back and, and, and look at, at verse 19, because now I, there's some really cool things that happen in here. Um, the Jewish Christians are being beaten and killed by fellow Jews who are not convinced of this Jesus dude raising from the dead. And so... What I loved, and we've talked about a lot of this in the past, but instead of praying what we would mostly pray, they're being, a, they're being killed. Moms and dads are being separated and murdered. And instead of praying for safety, instead of praying for security, what do they pray for? Boldness. And I'm like, boldness? Oh, my goodness. Boldness and power is what they prayed for. And though they didn't know it, when they scattered... That was the tool God would use to spread the gospel so quickly. Their suffering was actually the thing that allowed you and me to know Jesus today. Who would have thought that a bunch of people running away from, from trouble, running away from persecution, would be the way in which we would find out about Jesus? And so, I, you know, and forgive me, I do love maps, and I really think it helps because... Who knows where all of these places are, and so you just hear them. But Antioch was the, probably the third largest city in all of the Roman Empire. It was huge, and it was this hub of culture and trade and, and all of this diversity and race and religion. Only about 10% of the population in Antioch was Jewish, but, uh, and so many of the persecuted Jews as they were fleeing, and by the way, the reason they fled north is because if you went east, it was a desert. If you went south, it was a desert, and if you went west, some did, it was a desert. So north was like, yeah, that was the place to go. And they went to Antioch because with 10% of a Jewish population, they knew they'd have family there, they'd have friends there, they'd have people who, who would accept them. But in Antioch, um, the Jewish religion was a lot less strict. And so they, know, they knew they could come with their faith in Jesus and they would probably be accepted there. It would be safe. And then it says, but some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. So they're going up, hanging out with Jews, and everybody's thinking this is still a Jewish faith. And then all of a sudden, Greeks start getting involved. People start telling the Greeks about this Jesus. I got to tell you, this was so unexpected. And honestly, they weren't even sure if this was okay. They're like, I mean, Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Jesus was all about the Jewish faith. I don't know about these Greeks. I mean, are they even allowed to follow the Jewish Messiah? And then people are like, would they even want to follow a Jewish Messiah? But they did. It's like they, they told them about the good news, and it says the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, and everybody's going, what in the world is happening? See, that is how compelling the story of the resurrection was. I mean, there was just no denying it. This Jesus guy was hung on a cross in front of everybody. And I'm telling you now, go back in history. You, that is one of those, those few things in history that are real. 
There's just, there's not a lot of people down that that happened. I mean, Jesus dying, it was so common. It was so well known. This was a big one. And then he rose from the dead and, and the evidence and all of the people who actually had seen him, who were scattering because they're, they're being persecuted, are sharing their story. It was so compelling that, I, I mean, you think about it. The Jewish Messiah, in a religion that was pretty closed, the Jewish Messiah was compelling to Romans and Greeks and all of these other people. That is, that is astounding. They were absolutely convinced that Jesus was alive and their hearts were pierced. This was an incredible move of God. And it says, so the news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. Hey, Jerusalem church, Peter, Paul, or Peter, John, um, James, you, don't, you won't believe what's happening in Antioch. I mean, Antioch, it's like, you know, it's like New York City or Miami. or It's like Antioch, people are coming to know Jesus. And so they sent Barnabas to go check it out. See what's going on, Barnabas. He, go, he arrives and he sees what the grace of God had done. And he was glad and he encouraged them, encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And it just says real quickly about Barnabas. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. See, this is amazing to me. The Jerusalem leaders, they're like, okay, we've got to find out what's going on. Barnabas, we trust you. Go. Check it out. And he, he looks at this craziness, Greeks following the Jewish Messiah, and he says, this is good. He recognizes that this is a fulfillment of the promise that happened in episode one when God came to Abraham and he said the whole world would be blessed through your family. I mean, it's like the, the early church, the Jewish church started understanding, oh my goodness, this calling that we have to go and take the, the message of God, the message of Jesus to the world, it's a call that we were given in the very beginning, all the way back to Abraham. See, it's hard for us to understand this, but this took so much humility. This was a paradigm shift because for Barnabas, like all first century Jews, he was told, he was taught to reject Gentiles. I mean, Gentiles were not God's chosen people. Gentiles were not accepted. Gentiles, they were less than the Jews. That's what he had heard his whole life. And many in the early church, which you find throughout the rest of the New Testament, still felt this way. And so a lot of the books of the, the New Testament were, were the different writers trying to help the church see that the Gentiles are not lesser. They are not rejected by God. Barnabas had to deal with his prejudice. He had to deal with the way that he had always looked at the world. And he had to start asking God, help me see them the way you see them. We still struggle with that today, don't we? Don't we struggle to, to we look at people who are different than us and it's just, it's really hard to accept them. You know, sometimes it's race. Sometimes it's, it's gender. I know a lot of the times, it's, uh, especially uh, around every four years, it's, it's political parties, you know, conservative or liberal. It might be a different religion, denomination, or a theological position. You know, it's so easy to reject Muslims and say we don't want to have anything to do with them or, or to belittle Catholics because they're just different. Some of us look down on the poor. You know, they just, they just want a handout. And then others look down at the rich and say, they're just, they just think they're better than everybody else. They're just snobs. You know, thank God Barnabas did not have that attitude. Thank God, because it was this church in Antioch 
that would set the stage for the explosion of Christianity to the whole world, to our world. An explosion that is responsible for us knowing Jesus. See, I figure, if Jesus welcomed tax collectors and prostitutes, if Jesus welcomed Roman soldiers who would later whip him and hammer nails into his feet and hands, if Jesus welcomed Pharisees like Nicodemus, if he uh, invited, you think, if Jesus invested in Judas for three years, knowing the whole time that Judas would betray him, I think it's wise that we also take a look at our prejudices. I think it'd be good for ask us to ask God to reveal to us what's truly in our hearts and to create in us the ability to love people that are different. I'm not asking you to pray that God would help everybody see the same way. I don't want that. We're, we're a diverse body, and I love that. But God, even those who are different, even those who I vehemently disagree with, that I might have the ability to love them anyway. Because I think that's what Jesus calls us to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are his ambassadors to the world. Ambassadors don't go into a place and make it like where they came from. Ambassadors go into a place to be reality to them. Well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Ambassadors enter their world to lead them into Jesus' kingdom. Ambassadors go right where they are, not to waller in that, <laughs> but to lead them to Jesus so that they can be a part of his kingdom. That's what ambassadors do. Ambassadors don't make everybody change to their way. Ambassadors lead them to the way. And that's Jesus. So even though it's going to change everything for Barnabas, it's going to change everything for his, the future of, of Christianity and the Jewish church, Barnabas recognizes that the church in Antioch is God at work. So then it says, Barnabas went to Tarsus, which is Paul's or Saul's hometown, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it's about 100 miles away. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now you got to remember, who was Saul? He was the guy who was like one of the lead persecutors of the Christians until he experienced the resurrected Jesus. And it was prophesied when he was when he was being baptized, that um, he would suffer as God's ambassador to reach the who? The Gentiles. So it seemed like an obvious fit that Barnabas would go and get Saul, and they'd go work together in Antioch. And so for a whole year they did that, reaching Jews and Gentiles and growing them in Christ. And so Antioch is where the name Christian was first given. Now what's interesting, I don't think Christian was actually a, um, a, a, an endearing term. I think it was... Uh, it was not something, it was a, not a compliment because Christians wouldn't use the name Christian for about 100 years. So you think it was probably more of a derogatory term, especially for the Greeks, because Christ was the word for, the, the Greek word for Messiah. And so everybody knew that Jesus was this Jewish Messiah. So it was probably making fun of the Greeks saying they were following the Jewish king instead of Caesar. And so, um, and then during that year, Barnabas and Saul, they're in Antioch, and it says that some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, which I think would be a great name for your next child, um, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius, which was the next emperor. During his reign, there were two significant food shortages, 
shortages, shortages. And, um, and then it says, the disciples, as each one was able, these are the Antioch disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to elders, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The Antioch Christians, they were like second-generation Christians. You know, they believed as a result of the Jews who had seen Jesus. They believed as a result of the, the Jewish Christians who were fleeing persecution. So they knew that their faith was based upon the faith of these people who were suffering in Jesus' name. And they recognized that the coming famine... Because, again, Antioch was not dealing with persecution at this time. It was all in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And, and the Christians, the new Christians in Antioch, they realized that when there's a famine, those, those Jewish Christians down south in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, they're going to suffer way worse than we do. I mean, Antioch was the hub of trade and commerce. It was a pretty wealthy area. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, not so much. And so because they honored their fellow believers, they considered themselves all one church, one people, one family. At their own personal sacrifice, they decided to give gifts to people they didn't even know down south. That's unity. They didn't ask, do you agree on every little thing? Are we on the same page in all of these things? They knew one thing. They were on the same page that Jesus died and he rose again, and they wanted to follow him with their whole heart, and they said, we will sacrifice for you. I say, I think, it's like what Jesus said. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And what is this? If you love one another. If you love one another. And they did. And the message of Christ spread throughout the whole world at a blinding pace. You think about it. For you history lovers, a Jewish Messiah, a Jewish Messiah. I mean, Jew, the Jewish people in the Roman Empire were so small and such a significant part. A Jewish Messiah who never wrote anything. I mean, Jesus didn't write anything. He dies. The people claim he rises from the dead. That story impacted the Roman world so fast that within about 200 and something years, the entire Roman Empire had claimed that they had chosen to follow Christ. Now, whether they did or not, it's a different story. That's how revolutionary this was, that the whole known world recognized Jesus, death and resurrection. That is a compelling story that just blows my mind that it happened so fast. And this is before the internet. I mean, how do you do that without Twitter? I don't know, but they did. So here's the point. When, when we work together for a common mission... When we, we, we choose to ourselves to say our focus is going to be on going and making disciples in the world, going and reaching people, and then helping them grow into maturity. When we do those things, all of the petty things that we argue about, they become less important. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying that at all. I know that a lot of our different beliefs are important, especially to us. But what I'm saying is that when God moves and people are choosing to follow Jesus, we just don't have time to argue about all the differences. There's just too much to do. There's, there's too many people to get to know and to, to help grow. We have to help people grow as disciples. We have to teach them to, to know how to go and make disciples for themselves. I mean, 
that could take all of our time. So let's, we don't need to argue about the little stuff. Let's, let's just do this together. We can have our own convictions and our own beliefs. And when we do, we can still work with people who have different convictions and beliefs. The early church did. And because they did, we're here today. Thank you, Jesus, that that happened. Thank you. See, I can't wait to continue this journey in, Acts, uh, in, in the book of Acts over the summer. And I realized, I said, today's not one of those sexy stories that has all of this stuff. It doesn't. But today is that pivotal moment where a key choice by the Jerusalem church, the leaders, they said, just, you know, we're hearing some things in Antioch. Go check it out. And Barnabas gets up there and goes, oh, my goodness. This is a work of the Lord. And not only that, I need, to get, I need to do some things to help these people. Let me go get Saul. And together, they stayed for a year discipling these people, helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. Powerful. See, God, God's always calling people to himself. Always. He did it in Acts. He does it here. He did it in my life. For all of you who, who follow Christ, you know there was that moment where you felt God was calling you and your heart mm, was just beating because you knew, I have to make this decision to, to, to say no to me and say, my life is yours. He's always calling people to himself. And in a story like this, we call it the gospel, that God loved the world so much that he was pursuing them, first through the Jewish people. But then through the Jewish people came Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose again, making a way for all of us to know who God is, to know him. Yeah, maybe you sense in your heart, maybe you've been here a couple of times, maybe there's that thing in you that says, I think I need to know about that more, or I think I want to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you. This church exists we exist for you. We love you. We want to help you find the peace and the love that God offers you. So I just want you to know, I know that sometimes I stand out in the lobby afterwards and people, sometimes they, you know, they have questions, but they're like, I'm talking with somebody and they just, oh, I'll just wait till later. If you ever have a question, our staff people, we have people praying up here. There are a lot of people who would love to talk to you. I want to make sure you take advantage of that. If you even don't want to do that, you're just nervous or whatever, on that connection card that's on your bulletin is a place where it says, I would like information about what it means to follow Christ. And there's another one that says, I have chosen to follow Christ. If you turn those in, they come to me and we will talk. But I just want you to know that is why we exist. All of this that happened in Acts, it's still happening today. God is still moving. God is still drawing people to himself. And so that's what our church exists to do. Now, as we close, I, I really want to uh, challenge you to get familiar with Acts because there are some really cool, sexy stories in the, the latter half of Acts, and we're going to be talking about a lot of them. And so I wanted to let you know that, and I, I had the website, but it was so hard that it, I just found it was easier to Google Bible Project Acts 2 because the first one that comes up every time is the right one. But there is a, an organization out there called the Bible Project that has put together videos about five to nine minutes long of overviews of every book of the Bible. And I'll be honest, when I'm in my quiet times and I'm starting a new book, I always watch these videos. And I'll watch them like, you know, I'm like on the fifth time for this Acts one because it's so good. But it gives you that big picture. I want to challenge you. And you can even let me know if you accept the challenge on, on your connection card. But I would challenge you in the next week or two to watch this video because it gives that big picture of Acts 
And I'm telling you, Acts has the power to change our lives. This book is amazing to see what God is doing then because I have a feeling it can give us a glimpse of what God wants to do here now. And it's going to be exciting. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this book and uh, this, this story in Acts today. And I want to just ask, Lord, that you help us to um, be open to what you want to do, that, God, it is you that we are following. And so, Father, I pray that you will, uh, you will move our church in the direction that you want to take us and that you will give us the ability to see and hear and discern that. And, God, for anybody in this room right now who who doesn't know you, I just want to pray, Lord, that they, they sense that, that drawing and that they will have the courage to take that step and follow you. In your name we pray.